Hey, this is Jordan Sutton, pastor at Clear Path Church. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. We appreciate you listening. A little about our community. We love to come together. We love to come to the Lord's table together. Uh, we're a community trying to be led by the Spirit, just walking through Scripture together, walking through life together. If this message is an encouragement to you, bring some hope to your life at the end of the sermon. There'll be a little bit of information about how you can get in touch with us. Stay tuned, and thanks for joining. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy, eat, come buy wine, milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and the nations you do not know will come running because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. And he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Come, let us gather again in the shadow of the cross of Christ. We gather to remember love's ultimate sacrifice. Who would have guessed that the height and the depth, the length and the width of God's love might look like this, a forsaken Savior on a cross? Certainly not us, not us who are too often lost amid the world's worries, not us for whom such love was offered without cost. Let us gather again in the shadow of the cross of Christ and commit ourselves to remember the price paid. Let us live our lives in a way that indicates why Friday was called good. Thanks be to God who opened the gates of heaven that we might have the faith, hope, and love witnessed in Christ's sacrifice for our salvation.
Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. John 19 says, And Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place and called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus at the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam woven from top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, then they divided garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and the mother of his sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother 
And the disciple whom he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen this has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture that they shall look upon the one whom they have pierced. I want to draw your attention um, to one phrase in this text. It says that not one of his bones were broken. And this like seeming prediction comes from this 34th Psalm and it says in Psalm 34:20, he guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Over a thousand years before Jesus, David prayed a prayer that is recorded in the book of Psalms as the blessing of a righteous man. And poetically, he makes a statement in this really obscure way that not one of his bones will be broken. Now I'm I am certain that when he was writing, he was, he was writing about the blessing of a righteous man. He wasn't thinking um, about this specific moment that was going to be happening years later. And so why is this so important? Why is it important that Scripture would prophesy and it would be so that none of Jesus' bones would be broken? See, the crucifixion had been invented several hundred years before um, but as the Romans started using it, they refined the use of it over centuries to cause this ultimate and slow suffering. And the way that people would die on a cross was that usually when, you're, when your arms are hung out like this, your intercostal muscles in your chest and the muscles in your diaphragm are the things that allow you to be able to draw in air to continue to breathe. And as they would hang there, all of those muscles would, would deteriorate. And people would generally die from suffocating or organ failure because oxygen wouldn't be getting to their body. And so what happened at the, as people were dying was that they would have this fight between pressing up against the nails that would have gone through their feet to lift their body so for a moment they could have the, the, be able to breathe. 
And, the, and it would be days sometimes and, or hours of a struggle between pushing against the pain of the nail to release your ability to be able to breathe and then releasing back into the place where suffocation would happen. What the cross reveals is man's inability to struggle against death. No matter how long you sit there, you're, you're, at some point, your body is going to give way. And, and just like um, on the cross, if you've been with people in their, in their final days, it is, no matter how inevitable it is, it's man's like inclination to struggle against death. But everyone loses that struggle. The, the reality is, though, that whether you're on the cross or not, like all of us are struggling, we're struggling against death. And Genesis assures us that because of man's sin, that one day man will surely die. And so the bones of the men next to Jesus on the cross were broken so that they could no longer struggle against death. And that death would happen immediately. But I want you to see that the Scriptures invite us to see that Jesus is different than any kind of man that has ever lived. In John 18, we see the account of Jesus being arrested. And historical commentary says that 500 soldiers came with Him and the chief of priests and elders of the Pharisees came to arrest Him with officers. And when they asked Jesus who they were looking for, and he said, I am he, Jesus of Nazareth. He responded by saying, I am he. And as soon as he spoke those words, the entire company of 500 soldiers, officers, and Pharisees fell to the ground. Yet Jesus gave himself up. Even when Peter defends him, Jesus heals the man whose ear was torn. Even when Jesus came before Pilate, Pilate knew the man was innocent, but Jesus would give no argument for himself. Even people observed and shouted, he saved others, he healed, his others, he healed others. Can he not come off that cross? And then we will believe him. At the very end, Jesus did not die the way the others would die next to him. Their legs were broken because they could no longer struggle. But Jesus died at exactly a specific moment. It says, when he said, it is finished, he gave his spirit into the hands of the Father and he breathed his last. I want you to know, that Jesus' life was not taken for him. It was laid down. There was not one bone broken of him because he decided the exact moment that he would give his body into the hands of his Father. And you know, many people talk about the sinfulness and the violence of man on that day and the sinfulness of man that remains today. But I want you to know that the feature truth 
of the gospel story is not the weakness of man, but it's the righteousness of God revealed in the love of Christ on the cross at Calvary. This is what John 10 says. He says, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is the hireling and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. The father knows me even so. I know the father and lay my life down for the sheep. The other sheep I have, which are not in this fold, them also I will bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And watch what this says. It says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. This is the good and faithful shepherd that we have. That life could not be taken from him in some sort of deal. That he laid it down. And Romans 5, 8 says, But the God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for this, for us. At the very beginning of the year, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I want you to see me as a gift giver this year, as one who rewards I want you to know that this offering of love is not something that Jesus just had to do. It was a free will gift that he made. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook the rocks split, and the tomb broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloths, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed with light, lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. 
Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And they remembered his words. I want to invite you into a moment of silence. As we let the anticipation of our risen King build in our hearts with the question, why do we seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I'm going to read you the passage that most has most come alive to me this Easter season. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. It's been weeks since I've made it through the scripture without crying. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. For weeks, I keep waiting to say one thing, which is that my friend is alive. It's the most simple and the most deep, meaningful idea of Easter. That the one I love is alive again. I just watched him. I just watched him be put on a, a cross. I just watched him be tortured and stuffed in a tomb. And we thought that he was our hope. And all in a moment, everything changes because he's alive again. Jesus appears to Mary for a simple reason. He appears first to her, I think, because he loves her. It's not because she might be the most deserving or what other people might think she's the most deserving for him to, to come back to her first, but maybe she's the one who loves him the most. And this Easter, that's all I want to be. I don't, I don't have to be the one that deserves this him. I just want him to know my love. I want to get to see him. <laughs> I'm going to talk for a minute, hopefully without crying, about the power of the resurrection. 
going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Everything hangs on the resurrection. The cross would have meant nothing to us without the resurrection. There's, without the, re the, re the resurrection, there's no proof. There's no power. There's no idea that Jesus is Lord over sin and death, but Jesus is Lord over sin and death. He is Lord over sin and death. And I want you to realize today when I say that, he's Lord over sin and death. I want you to realize that those two things are very, very tied. Sin and death. They cannot be separated. He cannot be Lord over one without being Lord over the other one. He cannot be Lord over death without being Lord over sin. And what this means for us, as we see the resurrected Jesus, it means that we will be a new creation, just as Jesus was, the first fruits of those raised from the dead, but we also are now able to be a new creation both now and then, because he's Lord over sin and death. See, the picture of Jesus raising from the dead, this is, this is a picture of what is coming for us, a picture of him being raised with an incorruptible body. You know, the, the Old Testament talks about that, that um, when Jesus would come, that his body would not see corruption. And it was very significant that Jesus rose on the third day because the Jews believed that on the fourth day, a dead body would start to decay and corrupt. But on the third day, just before, just before you think that, that corruption has the final say, here we come see Jesus out of the grave, an empty tomb, telling you that your end will not be corruption. Your end now will not be corruption. Your end on this earth will not be corruption. And your end in eternity will not be corruption. Because not only did Jesus pay the price for you to be raised from the dead again one day. This is what we believe, right? This is our final hope. This is our final hope that death is not the end. Not only that with an incorruptible body, but now that your soul is no longer required to be tainted and corrupted but that your soul can be once again resurrected to new life, a new spirit, a new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I want to read this one last scripture, Luke 24. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, this is the disciples, Peace be with you. 
They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. That's actually really key, thinking they saw a ghost. We're going to talk about that. You can keep going, Chris, sorry. He said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> Seems like a funny question, but it's not. Once again, it's actually really important. They gave him a piece of broiled fish. Makes sense, they were fishermen. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Why was it so important that Jesus couldn't be a ghost? I mean, let's be honest. It still would have been pretty awesome if even if Jesus had just died and then he still came in some kind of like mystical form that they could see and appeared and talked to them. Like you'd be excited if, a, if God showed up to you in spirit like that, right? But they, they ask him this, or he asked them this funny question. Do you have something to eat? Like, he wants them to see that the food doesn't go straight through him. He wants them to touch his hands and his feet where the nail scars were. And this is really important because, once again, it can't be one or the other. It has to be Jesus, the same man, and it has to be Jesus, the new man. See, if it's, if it's not the same body, then the promise for us completely changes because our promise of resurrection for eternity is a different one which is not a restoration of everything that you are. But that is what God has promised us, a restoration of every single thing that you are. However marred it's been, however tainted it's been or corrupted it's been, the promise is not to make new things, but to take the old things and make them new again. Okay, so if Jesus couldn't put food in his mouth, then he's just a ghost and it's not the same body or it's not a real body, right? but it is both. It's the same body and it's a new creation. And this is what God has provided for us. Jesus wants to appear to you as his friend, just like Mary in the garden, just out of love, not out of any other, like just put away sometimes, like I'm not saying you should forget about this, but sometimes it's like put away what Jesus did for you, like the forgiveness of your sins and all these things. Like just look at him. Just look at him. He's, he's a beautiful person. He's the beautiful person. And he wants to speak to you. He wants to be with you. And he wants to show you that he is both the same man who was crucified, yet also a very different man, a very exalted, resurrected man. And he wants to offer you that same resurrection. New creation both for today and eternally. Rejoice. 
The stone is rolled away. Grave clothes neatly folded. No more the smell of death. Behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah. He is risen. Rejoice. Scripture has been fulfilled. The sting of death is gone. The victory has been won. Behold the risen Christ. Hallelujah. He is risen. Rejoice. The curtains torn in two. Our God invites us in. Christ's sacrifice enough to wash away our sins. Hallelujah. He is risen. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. But when his, this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. In his right hand held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. When he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Come on. How blessed is this day when heaven and earth are joined to human, humankind is reconciled to God. Light of Jesus shine continually and drive away all darkness. May Christ, the morning star who knows no setting, find his light ever burning in our hearts. He who gives his light to all creation and who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to share some final thoughts with you. In Bree's reading, Hebrews 10 says that Jesus has seated himself next to the right hand of God in heaven, and he waits for his enemies to be made footstool. It's a quote from the Psalms. It's actually the most quoted uh, passage by the New Testament from the Old Testament. It's quoted in Matthew and Acts, and I can't think of all the places right now. But what it tells us is that Jesus is exalted, but, but there, is, there is work left to be done. And those who will make his enemies a footstool are, are us. I want to draw your attention to one more detail in this Easter story of the passage that, that Zane read. In John 20, verse 18, it says, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that he had seen the Lord. And that he had spoken these things to her. The very first thing that happens with the first person 
who witnessed the resurrected Christ is that they told someone else. The first thing that happens as new creation is risen from the dead and encounters man for the first time, the first thing that has happened is that they shared it with someone else. Mary, who had been delivered of demons by Jesus and was a prostitute, went and told them the words that Jesus had given her and that he was alive. We aren't here just to tell an Easter story, but to experience the power of resurrection in our lives. When the power of the presence of God comes to us through the gospel, we are called to give it away in this life. Here's what Scripture says in John 10. It says, Jesus says, I am the door. As we come through Him, we found salvation and good pasture. He also says that I am the way that you come to have life and life abundantly. Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. I want you to know that when we come to celebrate at Easter the resurrection of Jesus, we aren't just celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. We are celebrating our life in His resurrection. Jesus came and He conquered that that brief promise that was given to us in Genesis, which when you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. But in Christ, that curse is, re- is reversed and our sin and death no longer has power because of the good shepherd who laid down his life. And we not only are led by him, but we must come through the doorway of his life. Many people are comfortable to believe in Him, to say they follow Him, but Jesus does not just ask you to confess His name. I think in Jude it says even the demons do this. But He says, come through the door of my life that you may come in and out and find pasture and salvation. I want you to know that Jesus is not looking for your belief. He's looking for your life. And as we are brought into Him, resurrection life flows through our bodies. And so if we have this power, why do we feel dead so often? I want to share to you a very simple secret of the kingdom. The way to live out resurrection life. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples to preach the kingdom, cleanse the leper, heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. And they do this under the ministry of Jesus. They do this under his guidance. And as as they are doing this, They're pointing prophetically forward to the new life that Jesus will offer through himself. But he makes one key statement that I want want you to see. He tells the disciples, he says, freely, freely you have been given, now freely give. Freely you have received, now freely give away. 
as we began to release this resurrection life that is within us, the abundance of its fruit multiplies within us. And I believe that we have allowed apathy and doubt and self-centeredness to rob us from the abundance that Jesus has purchased in the empty grave. That is why the very next verse in Romans 8 says that, after, that as the Spirit who has raised Jesus from the dead, is, He says, now live according to the life of the Spirit. I believe that God is looking for people who will respond to the call of God to give away what has been given. God wants to release people today to not just believe in the gospel, but to carry and live within the gospel's power. Since the very beginning of this year, we've been praying as a community from this passage. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and every sickness and every disease among the people. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers in to his harvest. We have been praying that God would, by His Spirit, raise up laborers who would walk with Him into the harvest. And I, wa I want you to know that you don't have to be special. Mary Magdalene was not an apostle. She never would become an apostle. She was a prostitute who Jesus delivered, and the Lord saw fit for her to make the first gospel announcement in this new kingdom. God is not looking for church services to call the lost and prodigal home. He's looking for people to call the lost and prodigal home. And some of us need to be awakened to the Spirit's call within us. That we've called to give what we've been given. We don't just celebrate that Jesus is alive. We celebrate that He wants to make us alive. And every other game under heaven and earth is a zero-sum game where ultimately when you give everything away, there will be nothing left. But when we give what Jesus has given us, we receive more abundantly. Your good shepherd is calling you today to give what you've been given. I want you to know that the crown jewel of this covenant, that where He will write the law on our hearts and He will give us eternal life, the crown jewel this side of heaven is not the forgiveness of the sins. It's the Spirit of God has been given to you. Jesus didn't just make provision for your forgiveness. He made provision for God to live inside your body and inside your spirit. And because of that indwelling, what Acts tells us as Jesus has ascended is that the Spirit would lead you to be a powerful witness for His resurrection life. We wait for His enemies to be made a footstool because He's looking for us. He is looking for us to come into resurrection life. There are people today who believed their entire lives but are not living in resurrection life. And God is saying, come to me now. Repent and return and come to me and I will bring you life and life abundantly. Abundantly. 
the, the Matthew, it says, but God, we prophesied, we healed in your name. And he says, depart from me, for I did not know you. The Lord is looking for people who walk with him, who he knows, not who just simply have a belief statement that they live by. And I believe he wants to release resurrection life today. And I believe that the Spirit is going to begin to work on our hearts. And He is going to draw men unto Him this morning. So I want to just like have uh, some of our people are going to go to the, to the edge of the room to pray. I have, I have two simple calls for you this morning. I believe that Jesus wants to draw some people to return to the salvation life that God has called them to. I believe that there are some this morning that you see, you believe in him and you see him as a shepherd, but he have not walked through the doorway of his heart and he's inviting you to return and to come and find good pasture and find abundant life. There are people that God is calling to return through the doorway of his life and that you might have grace. There are other people that you are, you're not walking in the abundance of resurrection life. And I want to pray, I really felt the Lord strongly on this this morning, that we're praying that laborers would be sent into the harvest. I want this to be a commissioning Easter, where we're not just calling in salvation from a sermon inside a church where people may or may not come, but we're releasing resurrection life in the life of the believer. And so I, I want to ask you, if you are in that second group and you say, like, I, my life, I don't experience the resurrection life. I know that God has called me to be a witness for him. I know that he wants to lead me to carry his gospel, to carry his presence to those around me. I want to I have people all around the room. As you feel led, I want you to go to people and just and just ask them to pray for you, that God would release his spirit through you again. They would release you into resurrection life. And for those of you that you need to return through the doorway of salvation, I'm going to stand here at the middle and I'm going to wait because I want to pray that God would restore people to life. He would restore people to good pasture. And so Holy Spirit, come right now. I just want us to wait right now. Come right now. I pray that you would convict every heart, God. That you would release, you would commission people, God. You would commission people. You would commission people. And I believe the Lord is saying, more resurrection life. More life right now. And so as you feel prompted to, to come, if you, if you want the Lord to be working in resurrection life through you, I want you to go and find somebody at the edge. If, you're, if you feel him drawing back you into relationship with you, I want you to come find me. We're going to pray. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant, my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a cup of remembrance. And so when we eat and drink today, we eat remembering and proclaiming the death of Jesus. 
And we eat remembering and proclaiming the death of Jesus to everyone we eat in the presence of. But we also remember and proclaim in our own hearts that Jesus is the good shepherd who has led us through the doorway of his salvation. And so eating of this is taking allegiance to the body of Christ, is taking allegiance to Jesus and to his family. Um, I want us to receive that in, in our heart, knowing that we're actually invited to something through this worship. I love, I love the song. We have incredible music worship, and I grew up with that. But I've, I've come to appreciate this table more than anything in, in, in service to worship because I take it within myself, this broken, poured out body of Jesus. And so I just want to invite you just to take a moment of silence. If it's, if it's, been, a, if it's been a while, if um, maybe, maybe you're not that the sinner far from God, but you're like the lost sheep that he's went and found. Um, as you receive this, he is reminding you that you're his. He is reminding you that you're his. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that even as we sit here, that you would do something supernatural as we've come to this table. I pray that you would remind and return our hearts to the depth of your love, to the gospel, and I pray that you would do work in, in us. We thank you, God, that you have called us to carry this everywhere we go. And so, Lord, we take this with reverence for what it means. In Jesus' name, we bless this bread and we bless this juice as your body and your blood poured out. Amen. You may receive. God of promise and God of hope, who through your great mercy have granted us new birth through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we praise your wonderful name. God of glory and God of might, who through your great power have granted us new strength to endure all things through faith in Christ, our risen King. We praise your wonderful name. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. We hope you enjoyed this episode from Clearpath Church in Dallas, Texas. If you'd like more info to visit us on a Sunday morning or to subscribe to our newsletter, check us out at www.clearpathdallas.com. Follow us on Instagram at Clearpath Dallas. Thanks for listening.